Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Marty Wood. Um, Amanda, my wife, and I, we uh, attend Genesis uh, Gospel Group over at uh, Scott's house on Sunday night, so we're enjoying that. So he asked me to uh, read today's passage. It's uh, Ephesians 3 through 4, if you want to follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Thank you, Marty, for doing that for us. Thank you, band, for leading us. Uh, I've, uh, I grew up in a, a good Southern Baptist church, and after songs like that, they would have said, uh, if you can't preach after s- songs like that, then your wood is wet or something like that. So uh, if that didn't light you on fire, then I don't know what will for sure. So we are uh, excited to be, uh, to, I'm excited to stand up and preach after, uh, after that as well. So thank you again. Uh, for getting us to this place today. Holy Spirit, we want you to be here with us today as we get into this. So I hope your Bibles are open with us to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, uh, we'll start right in. There's a lot to cover today. And so uh, you think, how much you gonna, how are you going to do that in two verses? There's these. I love the New Testament because it's just kind of chopped full with theology and things that are for us. And so uh, two verses will take us a long time today. So verse 3 says, blessed be, God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so Paul kind of begins this letter. Last, the first couple of verses were an introduction kind of, and then he gets right into chapter 3, and it's almost this kind of doxology. It's almost this uh, praise to God. It's a, a, a hymn of praise and thanksgiving that he starts writing. And can you imagine him doing that? Remember, he's writing this from prison, writing this from being secluded off from people. And, and it just right off the bat, he's just excited about what the Spirit is giving him to write. He's got this apostolic heart about him that he wants people to know Jesus. And he's expressing this, uh, this profound sense of gratitude uh, just about his dependence on the grace of God. I mean, he's just fully dependent on who God is, and he starts it off this way uh, by saying this very thing. Uh, actually, in the Greek uh, text, which I don't do this very much, just as I was studying, uh, because there's a couple of versions that start this, this verse a little bit different, uh, the word uh, that starts this sentence, blessed, can also be translated as praise. And so sometimes it'll say, blessed be the God and Father of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, or praise to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we've just sang about today. Uh, and, and, and it kind of hearkens to uh, the apostles saying, praise be God and Father, who truly has blessed us in the heavenly realms and every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And so we don't get into saying all those words typically today. What do we just say if we're going to say something like that? You clearly are not as charismatic crowd. We're a couple of, we're a lot of old recovering Baptists here that keep very quiet whenever we, well, what are y'all, Puritans or something uh, that are very quiet. So I, I'll, I've told people here, if you're new, I'm a better preacher if you talk back to me. Uh, and so uh, I'll just encourage you, but uh, to, to encourage you to be involved in, in, in part of what we're doing and saying as we preach today. So we'll just say praise the Lord today, right? Yeah, there we go. Thank you very much, Becca. Uh, so we'll just, we don't go that whole thing like Paul did. We'll just say, praise the Lord. And, and so, you, you know, we sing a song like that. We, you know the doxology? 
Who knows the doxology? Who's that? You know how that goes. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Give me a good one. Amen. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's basically what Paul was saying. He's just giving this big doxology and this big praise the Lord to what he is about, what he's about to say. Uh, and so he's really saying that because it's kind of a response. His, that, that's what happens when we praise God. It's really a response to what he's done. And he's doing that because uh, Paul knows how God has blessed his people in Christ Jesus, how he has revealed himself to his people, and he's just writing out of an abundance and an overflow of that very thing. And so the reason why uh, different translations make use of the word or phrase is because Really, Paul can't bless God in the same way that God blesses us. We can't do the same thing, right? We can say, bless God. We can say, hey, praise the Lord. But we can't uh, pronounce a blessing to God in the same way that he blesses us. And, and we don't typically say, bless God, do we? we? We just don't say those words unless you may be some independent fundamentalist preacher. And you might say it like, bless God. You know, I mean, you might say it that way. But we don't typically use that in our vernacular when we say it, right? Do you say that? No, we don't typically talk like that. But when God blesses believers, whenever he pours out his blessings on us, uh, he bestows this certain kind of favor to us or kindness upon him that we do not deserve. Now, let me just sidebar here. And I'm not talking about some Joel Osteen kind of favor, okay? So y'all don't get nervous if you're new here and go, oh my goodness, what have we walked ourselves into? Because uh, we know that kind of preaching, right? If you've ever listened to that kind of preaching, it's all about material wealth and, and uh, health and prosperity. And uh, if you'll have enough faith, then God will bless you in a certain way and you'll just become more prosperous and more things will come your way. That's called word of faith teaching. And it, it's, it borderlines on heresy for the most part. Uh, and, and so I'll just say this. If you listen to Joel Osteen on a regular basis, find somebody else to listen to. Okay? That's pastoral advice for you. He may make you feel good. You may like him, and you may like his soothing voice. Uh, but I'm just saying that that's not the guy you want to listen to. There are multitudes of other people that you can listen to that will teach the Scriptures rightfully and truthfully, uh, other than him. And if you go, well, I don't know who those people are. See me after the service. I'll be glad to give you a list. Okay. Amen. Amen. All right. And, and when we talk about blessing, we're not talking about what you say before you eat your meal either. We're not talking about that kind of blessing, the blessing, you know, uh, we're not talking about that particular one. Uh, and, and so favor and blessing when it goes into like biblical context has nothing to do with wealth and health and prosperity. Favor in the, uh, the favor of the Lord is closely related to grace in the Bible. Really, really closely related to grace. And it's really summed up in verse 3. Uh, and verse 3 says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be, uh, and we'll talk about more about that in, uh, in a few minutes. Uh, so back to the text. Uh, when we bless God, like Paul writes here, 
It's an act of praise and adoration that he deserves. Whenever we sing adoration and praises to him, he deserves it. It's not an act of grace on our part to declare a blessing to Almighty God. It's really, again, just that overflow of praise for what he has done toward undeserving people. And all the undeserving people said what? Yeah, right, exactly. So three things kind of stick out to me in this, uh, in this first verse that we're going to talk about. Uh, and and uh, the first one is, uh, is this very thing, the authority of the blessing. Okay, and, and so the authority of the blessing that, that God brings to us. We're going to talk about these things, the, the authority of the blessing, the scope of the blessing, and the one from whom the blessings flow. That, that's the things we're going to talk about from this particular text. So the authority of the blessing. And so um, Jesus called God his Father, okay? I mean, he said that regularly in the Scriptures. John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, says, Do not cling to me. This is after, his ascension, this is after he has uh, risen from the dead. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so uh, we, let me talk a little bit about a little Trinitarian theology for us here. Um, uh, Trinitarian theology comes from... Uh, the scriptures. We, we teach this because we believe the Bible teaches this, that there are how many gods? Yeah, one God, and they're revealed in what? Yep, there we go. Three persons. Three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in, our, in our, one of our classes, you'll come to in Genesis, the, you people who came to Genesis, I've seen uh, some of you uh, are, uh, to, to, to discover, you've heard us say that uh, God the Father is neither God the Son nor God the Spirit. And God the Son is neither God the Father nor God the Spirit, and God the Spirit is neither God the Father nor God the Son, right? We say that because there are three independent, distinct people of the Godhead. They make up one God in three persons, amen? And so uh, the heresy teaching around that is called modalism. Modalism says that God moves, sometimes he's God the Father in like creation, and sometimes he's, and then God would move to being God the Son in redemption, and now, the, now he operates as God the Spirit. And the, that, those two people are, when he's at the Spirit, he's not these two people. That's modalism, and it's a heresy. It's not true. Because all these three people, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all exist at the same time. They are co-eternal, they are co-equal, and that's the part of the Godhead, okay? Tracking with me there? All right, good. Uh, and, and so Jesus even said these things. John chapter, chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 14, verse 9, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And so he claimed the same type of authority as God the Father had. And so uh, that's one of the things that got him in trouble a lot. So I got him in trouble with a lot of the religious leaders around because they were like, this guy claims to be God. Yes, he, he did, because he is. So the author of our blessing that we receive in becoming a follower of Jesus is the Trinitarian God of the Bible. And so we can join our fundamentalist independent brothers and sisters with a hearty, bless God, right? I mean, that's, that's what we can. We can say that very much so. So the authority comes from uh, God himself uh, the, of, of the blessing. Uh, secondly, is this. The reach of the blessing says this. It's not only the authority of the blessing, but the reach of the blessing. Most of the time when we think about the blessings or rewards, what do we think about when we think about blessings? Yeah, monetary value. What else? Health, yep, for sure. Oh, both those are on my list. What? Self, yep. Have, what can you do for me? What else? 
Family, yep. These are good. I've been reading my notes. Yeah, we, we want to, hey, protect our home, protect our family. Yeah, you know, make sure everything's good, guys. That's what we want for ourselves. And so when we think about those things, we're hoping that God will, uh, will, will bless us in those particular ways. And, uh, but, but I want you to think a little bit more spiritually with your pastor today, okay? Rather than just about material things, think a little bit more spiritually with me. Because when we apply the work of the Spirit, when, we, when the Spirit applies His work, actually, is a better way to say it, a part of the role is to bring divine things into actual contact with us. I'm not talking about homes, I'm not talking about health, and I'm not talking about wealth. But I'm talking about the things purchased by Jesus in the heavenly places. We, we, sing, a, we sing a song at Christmas called Joy to the World. right? We, that's a, that's a, uh, what we have deemed it to be a Christmas song. But the reality is it's not probably shouldn't be a Christmas song at all. It should be sung really all year round. And, and so that was written by a guy named who? Anybody know? Yep, I heard it mumbled over here. Isaac Watts. So Isaac Watts wrote the song, Joy to the World. And it's really oddly enough that, again, because we sing it at Christmas uh, about the incarnation, about Jesus coming, the truth is it's about his second coming. So the, the, the song, Joy to the World, you have to go back, t- test me on this. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm the guy with the microphone. Uh, 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 but it's really not a Christmas song at all. It's about the second coming of Jesus, uh, about the second coming of the Messiah into, the, uh, into all the glory when all the nations of the world will bow down to the one who is to come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first three of Joy to the World says this. Listen, listen really closely to what verse 3 says. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So let's think about that. Let's not think about that in little uh, six-pound, 14-ounce baby Jesus Let's not think of it in that particular context. Let's think about it much more in Jesus coming back with robes of white on a white horse with tats down his thighs, uh, uh, coming to like really kick the devil in the teeth. You know what I'm saying? Let's think about this one and, and second coming of Jesus whenever we hear these words. So it, it's, really, it's really nice and sweet over here. Over here, it's powerful, right? Are y'all with me? Is this thing on? All right, just checking. He comes to, uh, no more let sins and sorrows grow. Right? That'll be great, right? That'll be great where there's no more sin, no more sorrow. Nor thorns infest the ground. No more toil. No more work. He comes to make his blessings flow. Listen, he's pouring out his blessings Far as the curse is found. How far is that? Over all, the entire world. Over the entire world, his blessings flow and peace flows through. The glorious scope of Jesus' blessing is that he came to remove all the effects of the curse from Genesis 3, far as the curse is found. And one day that will be true. One day that will be the case. Jesus' blessings will remove the curse from the earth. 
Jesus' enemies will be subdued. And Jesus will set us free from the effects of sin. And all this is worked out through the, uh, through the work of God the Spirit in our life, both in the church in Ephesus and in our church today. And so it's not only you know, the, the scope of the blessing and the reach of the blessing, but the one from whom the blessings flow. Paul talks about that here in, the, in, this, in this verse as well. And so, so the mediator, the one whom this blessing comes and flows through is Jesus, right? And so this blessing that comes, the, the, the one through whom this blessings flow, the blessings that come are not just natural and, and just blessings that we think of in a regular way as humans here on earth. But think about his redeeming love. Redeeming love, there, there's a book called Redeeming Love, and it's about uh, just chasing down one who has gone far away. Uh, it, it, and I don't have time to get in that book. If you ever want to read that about uh, just knowing the love of the Father and how much he loves us and chases us and pursues us whenever we're running away like rebels, that's a great book to read. But think about that. Is his redeeming love chases down rebels like you and me, people who've been far from God for most of our life. And we run in the opposite direction until he chases us down. That redeeming love, that's where the blessings come from. That's how the blessing flows to us. It is a pursuing blessing, pursuing you and me even in our sin. Fruits of the mediator work of Christ for Jesus Christ's work on our behalf. The outflow of his work on our behalf. Because the reality is if there's no Jesus, what? There's no redemption. If there's no Jesus, there's no relief from our sin. If there's no Jesus, there's no relationship with God the Father. If there's no Jesus, there's no blessings that flow to us in Christ Jesus. I love how the Scriptures use the Trinity, that we see the Trinity at work, how we see the Trinitarian God always at work on our behalf. You know, uh, remember, this, this was written to the church around Ephesus, and uh, in the church, uh, in, the, in the formation of the church both then and, and now, uh, Paul gets the credit for really kind of establishing the church, right? We'd go back and go, hey man, Paul wrote this, and Paul was establishing churches here. But the truth is, it was the Trinitarian God who's establishing the church, right? We know that the, the, the work of God existed way back. He, without, the, without the work of him, there is no church. There's no church then. There's no refuge church today. There's no church today without the work of the Trinitarian God at work. I mean, the church was founded and originated because God himself said, this is going to be the plan. God the Father said, this is going to be the plan. The Son's, plan, the son's work in redemption says, I'll go and I'll live in their behalf. I'll go and I'll be tempted in every way like they are. I'll go and I'll do it without sin. I'll sacrifice myself on the cross. I'll give my way or I'll give myself to be sacrificed on the cross. I'll shed my blood, my perfect blood to cover their sin. And then the way the church is transformed is, is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I go away and I'll send the Spirit. And so the Spirit is everywhere. He's not limited by space and time or even a body. And so the Spirit is the one who is at work today uh, in the work, uh, doing the work in the church. And so verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, if you're a writer in your Bible, I encourage you to underline a few of these things. Like if he says every spiritual blessings, I would circle that in my Bible just to know that you get, that's the blessing that comes to you and me, every 
spiritual blessing. That means everything that the Father can bestow, all that the Son can provide, and all that the Spirit can apply comes to us, that we get that benefit of that if we are in Christ Jesus. And I love the fact that all the three persons of the Trinity work in harmony to bless the church. Think about that. The God of the universe is at work to bless the church so the church can be a blessing. That's why. It's not to just, again, we're not going back to go, hey, what's the benefits for me? It's how how is God going to use us so that we can be a blessing in this world so that more people know this redeeming love that's found in Jesus. Amen? Yeah, that's the work. There's a song, there's another song that we used to sing. We don't sing like hymns like this anymore. Remember the song called Showers of Blessing? Come on, anybody know that one? Yeah, I see a few hands, my old good, uh, my old good singing out of the hymnal people. Uh, it goes, showers of blessing, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Yeah, right? That's a good one. So, and it says that we plead for those. We plead for that mercy. We plead for those showers of blessings. But the reality is they're available to us. It's not something that we even really have to plead for. It's available to us. It's given to us by virtue of us being part of the family of God. Amen? Come on, that's good stuff now. Now, and then Paul uh, abruptly moving from this, the, the blessing, and he's like, hey, man, God has done all this, and we're all for this, right? Anybody against this? I got, we got to talk if you are. But, it, but, but we're all for this, and we love the fact that, that, that God is the one who has blessed us. We say this, and we say this heartily. All of us say this heartily. God is the one who has blessed us in Christ. He has given us every spiritual blessing. He in the heavenly places. He sets us up with Christ. We're all for that peace, right? Right? Anybody, anybody against that? Nobody's against that. And then he gets to verse 4. This story, everybody gets all squirrely. And so Paul, immediately, without any apology, uh, makes a bold declaration about election. I'm not talking about the presidential election, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, running for mayor of Arlington. I'm talking about uh, uh, election in the biblical sense. Here's what Paul says. He, all right, so let's go back. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, literally, he chose us out or selected us for himself. That's what this text means. Now, many people get really uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about the C word, child care. No, no, uh, no, sorry, not child care. They get really nervous about that too. But chosen. People get really nervous and people get really angry and people leave churches. People left this church left and right. Because we talk about what Scripture talks about uh, when you talk about chosen. Uh, so, so let me just sidebar here and talk about a little bit of biblical theology. Um, the Bible is a story about a God who chooses. 
okay? The Bible is a story about a God who chooses. He does it all through the scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, God chooses. I tell people that we're perfectly all right with God choosing people in the Old Testament, okay? We love those, church people love those stories in the Old Testament. Let's think about some of them. Uh, So he chose, who did he choose out of Ur of the Chaldeans? Yeah, Abraham. (laughs) Okay, and you're like, I'm not saying it out loud. Uh, It's Abram, right? So just out of the blue, because of no faith thing that that, uh, Abram had done, I mean, it wasn't like Abram was this super duper dude, and he's like, ooh, he's doing some really good stuff. I'll choose him. Just the God just, it just literally says, and God chose Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And we're okay with that. And we love the story of Abraham, right? He, we love the fact that he chose Israel. He said, these are going to be my promised people. These are my, these are my people that I love, and I'm setting my affection on them, and I'm setting my favor on them. And we like that, right? You like, Come on now. Talk back. To, y'all, don't, y'all don't got nervous and clammed up on me. Wait a minute. I'm not going down this road with him. I'm not going down that road. But we're okay with that, right? Yes, we are. We're okay whenever we read stories in the Old Testament of God opening up the earth like a big chasm and swallowing up all the bad guys in the earth and closing it up, aren't we? We're like, yeah, those guys. I'd love to see them. Those people go down in that hole and the earth swallowed them up. We're okay with God drowning Pharaoh's army in the, in the sea, right? Whenever he splits the sea and, and the Israelites walk across the sea like this big, like this big walkway, you know, they, they just stroll right down through there and there's no mud, there's no water. We're okay with that, and we're like cheering when they get to the other side, and then, you know, all the, the, the armies coming after them on their chariot, and they're chasing them through. I'm, I'm back to my Moses movie, you know, and that's what I see it as all the time, and we're okay with that, and then whenever God just lets the, the waters go back over them, they all drown, you know, because they've got all that armor, and they can't swim. We're okay with that, right? We're like, yeah, I killed them all, Right? We're okay with the flood whenever uh, Noah builds an ark and he rescues his family. And they're the only ones chosen to be rescued. And all the dead people, it's not like the cute things we make our kids draw. We don't do it here, but your kids probably drew it at VBS or in some some church Sunday school class along the way uh, of animals on the ark. And they're all cute up in there, you know, elephants, you know, looking over in the ark. We think it's real cute with all the dead people, draw the dead people floating in the water. We're okay with God doing that, right? But the Bible, because of those things, the Bible is a story about God bringing redemption to his people. Has been from the beginning and still is today. God brings redemption to his specific people. The Bible is the story of redemption for whosoever will come to Jesus. For whosoever will repent and believe the gospel will, say will, will be saved. And so you go, wait a minute. Is that also what you're saying? Yeah, I'm going to say it like John MacArthur says it. John MacArthur says, if you read the Bible, there are two parallel tracks that run through the scriptures. Two parallel tracks that you cannot deny in the scriptures. One is, um, is that God chooses who he will who will be saved in redemption. Before the foundation of the world, 
God, God knew you. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So that's a track that runs through the Bible. And then there's another track that says, whosoever will, let him come. And MacArthur says, he's fine living in the tension of that. And we should be too. Because the truth is, that's what sends us out. When people come to know Jesus because why? We go proclaim, he has not only ordained the ends, the fact that this group of people will come to know him, he has also ordained the means of that. And the means of that is the proclamation of the gospel, whether it's done from a pulpit or whether it's done with you on your back porch with a friend, the proclamation of the gospel. People do not come to know Jesus unless the, the gospel is shared with them somewhere along the way. People can know, people can look into the sky and go, there's got to be something we believe God will send a missionary to them to share the gospel with them if people are seeking out after him. So that is, that is parallel tracks that run through the scriptures. And so what we believe at Refuge is we're going to preach the texts that come to us. We're going to preach the texts as they come. Verse 4 brings the declaration that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose the heirs of salvation, selected those who were to be quickened from the dead and saved. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, you were D-E-D in your trespasses and sins. Dead, okay? You're D-E-A-D, dead in your trespasses and sins. We'll get to that in a few weeks and uh, because Paul talks about that extensively. And the scripture says this, that God, where we are today, that said God chose us in Christ with the connection with Jesus' work and office as kind of mediator, giving them to whom would be redeemed. So when did God give them to Jesus to be redeemed? Not after man was created, nor after man was fallen, but what does the scripture say? When? Second line, first verse, first word. Before the foundation of the world. That, that's when he said, before the foundation of the world. So here we are, faced with this profound mystery. Before the world was even created, the work of redemption was planned, and its details were arranged from all eternity. I'll say that again. Before even the world was founded, the work of redemption was planned, and its details arranged from all eternity. And the purpose behind that is declared too. What's the purpose behind it? Read third line, begins with that. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That's why, was, that's why it was done that way. That's why God chose you out. If you're a Christian, God specifically chose you out. He has opened your eyes to the gospel. You would not have come had the Spirit not um, removed the scales from your eyes and, and awakened you to the gospel. You would not have responded to the gospel. You would not have come on your own. Our sin, deadful hearts. We are dead in our sins. Dead men can't respond. We would not have responded had God not graciously awakened our eyes to the gospel. So if you're a Christian, my goodness, the grace of God just flows over you. You'll spend eternity with him because he chose you. This is obviously the design of God's electing will. God did not choose someone because he looked down through the corridors of time and said, somewhere whenever Scott Benjamin finally at age 30, become, he's going to go to church one day and he's going to hear this message and he's going to respond to it. So back here, way back when, I'll choose him because of what he's going to do. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. 
People try to explain away the electing work of God by saying that. Well, God looked way ahead and saw what you would do. You know what that is? That's meritorious. You've done something, and so God chooses you. And so God doesn't choose us on our merits. Our merits are like filthy rags before God. Tracking with me, church? Salvation is an act of grace. Salvation is an act of God's love toward you. He has chosen you that you might become holy and blameless. He ordains the ends, and he ordains the means. And so these two terms uh, that he says in verse uh, uh, 4, holy and blameless, kind of highlight the positive and negative side of this. So he says that we're holy, so we possess all the fruits of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, let me, let me just say this real quick. It is not the fruits of the Spirit, okay? Not multi, even though there's multiple of them, it is one fruit. So when you get the Spirit, you get all these love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You don't get like four of them. And he's like, I, I left four of the spirit. I left four of the fruits in the basket. You know, I, I, it's not the way it works. When the spirit comes, he brings all the fruits. Okay, it's like fruit basket turnover. Uh, he, he gives you all of that. Okay, <laughs> love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control, all become yours in Christ when the Spirit indwells you. And so that's the positive side. So he says, you are holy and blameless. So holy, you get that stuff. Blameless means all your Garbage goes away. Come on. Who got garbage in here? If you're a Christian, you know what? She gone. I mean, God doesn't hold, it don't hold that against you. He, he doesn't hold that against you because you're holy now and blameless before him, before him because of Jesus. My goodness, that's good. My gracious. And so uh, in terms of verse four, um, holy and blameless, not, they don't really talk about uh, necessarily justification, but uh, really it's part of a condition of sanctification. So we are justified. When, when we become a Christian and, and we repent of our sins and believe the gospel, positionally, we are justified. We are right with God, okay? And so forever we will be right with God because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. That justifies us. And so from that point forward, our life is sanctification. It's about sanctification, and that's become becoming more like Jesus. So positionally, I'm right. Boom. God sees me. He doesn't see my garbage. He doesn't see all my sin. He sees the righteousness of God clothed in me. Like you put a big robe around me. I've got on a white robe. You get in a hotel. That, that's kind of what I look like. Is it to, you know, because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, okay? But sanctification says we're going to work through all the junk. That means, that means sometimes when you come to church and you hear a sermon and and sometimes you, you, the Spirit convicts you of some of your sin. We're working off some of those uh, fleshly things that come within us. That's part of our sanctification process, part of it being with other believers. And, and you may have a friend, you may have a, a, a girlfriend, and, and you sisters get together and you go, man, you, you, we, we got to work on that with you, girl. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so that's sanctification. You got somebody that loves you enough to say that to you, be thankful for that friend. Uh, and so God works through us. So justification is the immediate right positioning with God. Sanctification says this is how it's going to be played out for the rest of our life. Our sanctification and really all of life, but specifically in this context, our sanctification is played out before him because it says that uh, um, uh, third line that we should be holy and blameless where? In his presence. In his presence. 
One commentator says that our lives must bear the scrutiny of his eye. Our lives must bear the scrutiny of his. So think about that. We live our lives out before the very eyes of God. You can't hide. You can't run. Uh, you can't run and tell that. You, you can't uh, run and, and hide and do anything at all like that because God, the eyes of God always see you no matter who you are or what you're doing. So this is not some, some simple external thing that happens to us, but it really reaches the center of who we are, our nature. Before him goes to mean the nature uh, and the glory of the Christian's new life spent in God's presence. Think about like after the winter, and we don't get it as much down here, but I always think about how terrible it would be to like live in Chicago in the middle of the winter. You know, I love Chicago. I'm a Cubs fan, and so I'd love to go to Chicago in the summer. Uh, that's a great time to go. But if you're in the winter and, uh, and you're up somewhere and living in those, that general, you know, winter barren land, uh, uh, Think about, you know, once the spring comes and the sun comes out and you get to walk out and the sun's out and there's no snow on the ground and you're through shoveling uh, snow and all those kind of things, uh, just, just how good that would feel to kind of turn your face toward the sun and the warmth coming over you. And that's the way we should feel when we live before God. Just warmth and kindness and encouragement and a general sense of joy that would come with living before him. We delight in it because we're his children. And lastly, uh, and I'll just say this because I think it's just one of those little things that I want you to see. Uh, it, it's kind of been disputed about the last two words in this verse, in love. I don't know what it looks like in your Bible. In my, uh, in my ESV, which I preach from, uh, at the end of verse 4, it actually starts the next verse. It says, in love. And then it has verse 5 uh, that starts the next verse. And so there's a big debate on whether or not that in love should be with verse 5 or if, if in love actually belongs with verse 4. And so just from reading and, and thinking through that, I, I would say that it probably belongs with verse 4 because he, here's what it says. Uh, uh, verse, verse 4 says that even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's the way we live and in love. And so if you're one of those people that go, well, I, my King James says it's in verse 5, and that's just where I'm going to land, then that's fine. It's okay if you want to land in verse 5 too. It's not a hill to necessarily die on. So question becomes, so what, preacher? What, what's the purpose of this sermon today? Well, clearly, in this two verses, blessing is the is the, uh, the few thoughts that are really surrounded in these verses, right? It's that we bless God, which means we uh, offer our admiration to God, and, and our lives should be lived as a thanksgiving to God, that, that the words that come out of our mouth should be something that is in adoration to him because of the fact that he literally has rescued us uh, from sin and hell and death, and, and from eternal death, right? And that, that, that's what we, that's one of, if, if for nothing else, then we should bless God because of that, because he has chosen us and to remove the scales from our eyes and remove us from, the, from death and damnation that would come to us that we all deserve. Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We bless him because he has in, first blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's given us life 
and hope. And he chose you and me in Christ Jesus. And this is grace. This is grace when this happens. Uh, Benjamin Warfield said this, Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. Grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. I've got news for you. You're all ill-deserving. We are all ill-deserving. We don't deserve grace. Grace is, the, grace is the kindness of the Lord to those of us who don't deserve it. We've done nothing on our own, nothing in and of ourselves to deserve the kindness of the Lord. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so, and so grace has said, even you and me in our sin, in the depths of our sin, hey, some of you probably walked in here and you are in some deep, deep sin, okay? You have stepped off in it and you are up to your eyeballs of whatever the thing is that's going on. I just want to tell you, you are clearly ill-deserving like the rest of us. And gra- the grace of God says, I'll rescue out of that pit today. I'll pull you out of that pit today. I'll awaken you to the gospel today. That, that, that tug that you're feeling in your spirit right now literally is the spirit of God saying, awaken, O sleeping one. Awaken, O dead one. He is calling you to himself today. Jeff Vanderstelt said this weekend, he was here. He's uh, the guy that leads Soma Communities. And he says, uh, it, it is because of God's grace that we are holy and blameless. And too many times, listen, listen, I'm almost done. Uh, Too many times we shrug it off when preachers say stuff like that, that we should be holy and blameless. Yet Paul says literally in our text that the ill-deserving, the you and I, the ill-deserving that Warfield talked about are holy and blameless in Christ. So Jeff Vanderstelt says that we should ask ourselves this question. If you believe that God called you and has ordained you to be in every situation, how would you live? If he's called you to be holy and blameless, if he has removed all this sin from you, if he has justified you, he has positionally justified you, and he has given you life, and he has rescued you from sin and death, if you believe that God has called you and ordained you in every situation, how would you live? How would you live your life tomorrow? How would you live your life on Tuesday? How would you live your life on Friday? How would you live your life? Look, all of this is only sustainable by the Spirit of God. The Spirit. And it's only sustainable by the Spirit if the Spirit lives within you. And the Spirit only lives within you if you've been born again. And you're only born again by becoming a Christian. And so Christians, I want us to live like Jesus makes a difference. I say that a lot here. I say that a lot here because we live in the good old religious South. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, God bless you. It's not Christianity. That he literally has chosen us out of all the people on the earth. He has chosen to awaken us to the gospel. He has chosen to remove the scales from our eyes. And he has chosen to make our dead hearts alive. 
And in that, he has made us holy and blameless before him. And in love, he calls us to do some different things. I want each of us to live like we're chosen to be part of the family of God. I want you to live like God loves you and wants you to love other people. I want you to tell other people about the good news that Paul writes about here in the Scriptures. Let every heart prepare him room far as the curse is found. In your home, in your family, at your school, in your work, on your sports team, every place that you have influence, every place that we have an opportunity to influence other people, and you'll influence the people that I'll never get a chance to do. I'll influence the people that you'll never get a chance to do. That's why we all do different things. We all all live in different spheres and circles. God has put you there to declare this good news about the hope that is found in Jesus as far as the curse is found. And if you're here and the curse of sin still has you bound, we urge you today to come to Jesus. We beg you today to come to Jesus, to shed yourself of the curse. That tug that you're feeling in your heart is not some cajoling by your pastor. We would, if I thought that would work, I would do it regularly. I'm just here to declare the goodness of God. I'm here to declare that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, that he laid his life down for you. Without the shedding of Jesus' precious blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the way that you get right with God, the way you get that nagging feeling out of your soul and out of your spirit, the way you move from death to life is to repent of your sin. Say, I recognize I've sinned against God and I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe that Jesus lived. I believe that he, was, that, that he lived the life I cannot live, that he took the punishment of God that I deserve, that he died on a cross. He shed the blood to cover my sin debt. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, that he was literally buried and three days later, God raised him from the dead. And now he is ever at the right hand of the Father interceding on behalf of the beloved. Hey, yeah, that's what he's doing. That's what, it, that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm telling you, the thing about becoming a Christian is it's so easy, it's scandalous. It's crazy how easy it is. It's repent and believe. It's not just words, but it's a heart posture. And if you're here today and you've never done that, we want to invite you to do that today. Repent. Believe the good news of the gospel. That's our prayer for you. Let's pray. God, we love you.